chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you have at least one Star Wars book that influenced your life. I know I have way more than one. Well, in our new venture as a nonprofit literacy organization, we are working to bring Star Wars books into schools and classrooms. Right now, we're running a silent auction fundraiser where you can not only support this endeavor, but get some sweet signed Star Wars books and memorabilia. It's a perfect holiday gift for that scruffy nerf herder in your life, even if that's you. All the links will be in the show notes, and this is important. Every single penny donated will go towards the books. There will be info on how to participate in the silent auction, and also if you want to just donate directly to us. So thanks in advance, and uh, enjoy the show. I'm Zoraida Cordova, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I, of course, am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with none of my co-hosts today. Uh, They left the ship to me. It's going to come back on fire just so that they're prepared because I'm definitely trying some light speed skipping. Uh, And to go on that journey with me, I have brought some, uh, some friends along with us. So here today to talk Rise of Skywalker is Mr. Caden Stetler from the Rebel Cause. How's it going, guys? Our good buddy, Bill, from Happy Beeps. Hey, Brandon. Hey, guys. And, of course, we had to have our good friends at Sith Talk here, so Mr. Zach Chrisman. What's up? What's up? How's it going, guys? Dude, I'm so excited. So I I have intentionally not really talked too much with you guys uh, about Rise of Skywalker because I want things to kind of be fresh on here. So, like, I haven't listened to the Sith Talk uh, Rise of Skywalker episode yet. It's sitting in my feed. Uh, Bill, you and I have have not really talked about it. Caden, you've tried to get me to talk about it, but I've kind of limited it. Um, so we can <laughs> yeah, kind of... Yeah, you've been reluctant. <laughs> there's just a lot to unpack. And so the, the more I look at this film, the more I think about this film, the more I write about this film, the more I like it, but then also the more I'm confused about it. So I think we've got plenty of um, fodder to talk about today. But before we get into that, we, of course, have to do uh, What Are We Star wars And since this is going to be the last episode of this decade of 2019, uh, we are going into the second decade of Clashing Sabers, and I just want to know, what are you guys looking forward to Star Warsing in 2020. Bill, I'm going to send it to you first. What are you looking forward to Star Warsing next year? So I, I, I have this I, I have this theory, and maybe maybe it's less of a theory and more of just this is what I hope, right? It's it, that, that Disney didn't actually buy Star Wars in order to do what they just did, right? And I love what they just did. But I, I have this theory that um, that this was really the opening gambit to a 50-year strategy, right? And and what we're going to see over the next 50 years it may not bear very much a resemblance at all to what we've seen over the last five. And I think that I think as much as I loved what um, uh, what we saw over the last five, 
I'm actually excited because I don't know what's coming. So I'm thrilled about Project Luminous. I have no idea what it is. Um, I we I, we're, not, we're not talking about the Mandalorian today, but I got no idea where the Mandalorian is going, and I I love that I have no idea where it's going. Um, even even the Clone Wars, where we sort of have that mapped out with what we've seen just over the last couple of months, where they could take those those next eight episodes, uh, I think is is uh, is. is the sky's the limit. So I, I've, I, I'm, I am wide open to whatever they've got coming for me in 2020. Yeah, there's, I mean, I feel like there's a lot we know is coming, but we don't have definite dates on it yet. So it is, it's kind of hard to narrow it down. For me, it's definitely Clone Wars, which surprises no one because more <laughs> Ahsoka content is, uh, is definitely um, something I'm looking forward to. All right, Caden, what about you? What are you looking forward to in 2020? <laughs> Well, I heard a rumor that we're going to get the announcement of what the next trilogy is going to be sometime in January or February. Mm. I don't know if there's any facts behind that. I read it somewhere on some Star Wars site or something. But uh, like Bill said, I'm definitely excited to find out what's next because it's one of the first times now where we just don't know what's next. Like, you know, when we got seven, obviously things went a little bit differently than I guess we thought they were going to in a good way. But, uh, we kind of knew, all right, we'll probably see the next generation and like Luke and Leia and all them kind of mentoring that kind of stuff. I'm excited to kind of explore a different part of the galaxy now and maybe a different time period. I'm always hoping for old Republic stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at with everything. And of course, Clone Wars, I'm super excited for that. They kind of they kind of had everybody primed with it with with Old Republic being next with with Benioff and Weiss, right? And now that like and now they, that they're not, it you really it's you've got just no idea they could do anything. I see. Uh, my hope is that the Rise of Skywalker is kind of the bookend mm. to how much further in time we go. You know what I mean? Like I kind of want to go back now. I don't know. That's I just, think. I think personally, with The Rise of Skywalker, and I guess we'll get into that later, um, but to kind of like what I'm excited for the most um, is definitely, uh, obviously, the obvious choices, Clone Wars, Mandalorian, Season 2, and Mm -hmm. Project Luminous. Those are the big kind of Star Wars main things that we are going to get. But I think I'm just more excited to hear like, hey, Disney, you, you had your trial and error kind of run with this sequel <laughs> trilogy and this error. And well, I'm just saying I like the sequels. I'm just saying yeah. it, it was the first time without George Lucas that we've gotten Star Wars. What does yeah. that look like? And now they've been able to kind of figure out where their footing is. And I'm excited to see where they go with that footing. And I hope personally, I agree. I hope we go into the old Republic thousands of years before a thousand years yeah. before and that way i personally hope that we after that we get star wars if we ever play at the timeline post episode nine i hope it's a thousand years away i just want to stay away from this core that we're in right now and either go push before what happened and how this all came to be and then maybe shoot after so i guess i'm just excited to see what they're going to do with it yeah yeah and i mean I'm kind of with Caden that I want episode nine to be the bookend. Like I, I don't know how you continue stories on after episode nine without just continuing the same cycle of war and violence that episode nine is supposed to bring to a conclusion. Right. Because the, 
Palpatine is the personification of the dark side, and now that's gone, <coughs> so that you know everybody's happy and you know end of the fairy tale, that kind of stuff. So, I definitely would want like to go back to Old Republic because I think now you have the technology to make that really fantastic. Uh, but I think the things <coughs> that Disney has done really well, the the two best things that Disney has done is get away from the saga films and bring in Ryan Johnson. So I think if you combine those two things and you give Ryan Johnson the next trilogy, I mean, and, and you have nothing to do with the Skywalkers, you go thousands of years ahead where Anakin is not even a semblance of an idea, maybe go to the, the time of prophecy. You know, I'm reading Master and Apprentice right now, and how cool would it be to take some of those prophecies that are there and have characters explore them coming true, you know, as kind of a preface for what we see with the Chosen One prophecy. So there's a lot of potential. And I think now that the sequel trilogy is over, uh, you you can use those characters in other ways. You can give the adventures that go on, you know, the year in between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. But also you, you just have the freedom to do stories like Rogue One, um, stories like Rebels that are... They're connected because they're Star Wars and it's all one story, but it's not just stuck in the same place or the same cycle that we've already been in. Yeah. yeah. I have I one think- tiny thing to add about my uh, expectations, too, or things I'm hopeful for. The, the, the Star Wars comic is doing Between Empire and Return now, which I think is going to be really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that we're still going to get plenty of stories that happen in the in the time periods that we're familiar with. I think somebody like Ryan Johnson will not be tempted to play too much in that particular playground. I don't think he'll be tempted to fill in the gaps and, and, and answer questions that people have been asking. I think he's probably the right guy to to open the landscape up, you know, in a fundamentally different way. I also think given given what, what Disney has been doing, what we're going to see is some changes in the way these stories are told, some fairly groundbreaking things, uh, interactive, uh, augmented and virtual reality, the theme parks. I think that we're going we're, we're gonna to be blown away by the degree to which these guys are pushing the envelope in, t- in terms of the way that they bring these kinds of stories uh, to market. Uh, and they're starting it with, you know, with Marvel now in terms of the the Disney Plus universe and the and the film universe really being one and the same and a conversation going on between those two different media, uh, and I'm 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 just really excited to see what they what they come up with. Yeah, I mean, I think I well 100. I'm going to go with a hot take. I think there's like a 80 percent chance Ryan Johnson's not coming back to Star Wars. Uh, ah, personally, I think it literally for him. If he does come back, it is because he is the truest Star Wars fan. I would love to see what he's doing, but like career-wise, he's been burning at the cross for four (laughs) years now, and or you know, I guess three, four, two years now, burning constantly at the cross. Knives Out comes out. I've seen the film, absolutely phenomenal, and people go back to worshiping him, you know, for his film work. I think Ryan Johnson is a um, revolutionary filmmaker who deserves something like a Star Wars um, and I think he should get that chance I just don't think he won't because of The Last Jedi backlash and my thing is with Ryan Johnson I think he would have been better served having completely new characters because I think a lot of the people that have a problem with The Last Jedi 
have a problem with him playing with characters that we already have known and loved for 40 years. Had he <clears throat> taken brand new characters like or have done a Rogue One, I think we'd be talking a lot different about Ryan Johnson. But the fan base is still split on The Last Jedi. And with The Rise of Skywalker still being relatively a little bit split, I think now's the time to go away from anything we've done before and start something new just based on a business um, side yeah. of it. Yeah. See, but if we're talking business side of it, The Last Jedi still made a billion dollars at the box office. <laughs> it's still the best-selling Blu-ray of the year. Like, sure, there's some some fanboys yelling on YouTube. Um, there's the the conversation around The Last Jedi is not the greatest, uh, but it, I think you see it repeating with. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. There's very similar conversations, just just different people saying it. I think that Disney is okay with Star Wars fans like us, who are really deep into it, disagreeing about things. I don't think they spend a lot of time really worrying about whether we're going to go to the box office and see things, because I know there's probably like 50 people out there who actually did boycott episode nine, but everybody else went to go see episode nine because you have to see it to be able to be mad about it. Right. And so they're going to go see the movie at least once and you're going to help it make a billion dollars. They're not, it just, they, they need the clicks. And how are you going to get the clicks by saying, I didn't see episode nine or I didn't see this movie or that movie. I think that with the director changes that they have had, the issues that they have had, they are going to start playing it safe. And safe is Ryan Johnson. He is possibly the best filmmaker of this generation. He made a billion dollars for you at the box office. Um, And quite frankly, he made possibly the best Star Wars movie. So... I, I, Zach, you and Sam talk about it all the time on Sith Talk, how he's not coming in back, and I yell at you guys. I know you could probably hear me. <laughs> but, I mean, I think I, I, I definitely want definitive word that either he is coming back or he is, he, he is not coming back. And I want to know what side, if he's not coming back, what side does that come from? Because I think it's going to say a lot. Because I think if Ryan Johnson chooses not to come back because of the way that he's been treated, it's very understandable. I think if Lucasfilm says we're not bringing Ryan Johnson back because of the fan reaction, they're cowards. They have to listen to the fan reaction because we're the ones coming in. I mean, you look at the numbers as of right now, that's not a bad thing. But the episode nine has had a 71% drop which in normal blockbusters a 50 percent drop is normal a 55 percent drop is normal a 60 drop is like eh, but a 71 percent drop in the first week isn't a good sign that people are continuing back that there's more interest to see it i've heard a lot of people see it but not as much as episode seven and not as much as episode eight and i think the stuff that happened in eight the way people felt Some people didn't even bother to go because after eight, a lot of fans felt burned and decided to wait around on this one. And that's why you're seeing that 71% drop. So I don't think Ryan Johnson personally is as cash money as everybody says or thinks he is. I think he's the best one that should do it, but it's kind of like he's already, he's already been burned. And for him, to me, it just makes sense for him to move on at least for another five, 10 years and get it behind us get Star Wars moving somewhere else, and then give them a project. I imagine we'll find out by August, like, right? Just, sorry. 
No, I was just, I was just saying. I imagine we'll find out by 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 August, right? Do, do we do we really think that there's? Did you say, you guys said you heard that there's an, an announcement on the next trilogy coming soon? In January, oh, yeah, that's is what, what I, I heard. heard. Something like January, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out. The funny thing is, like, I'm sure they love that we're all sitting here still talking about a movie that came out three years <laughs> ago. Because how many other movies do you do that with? Is anybody really still talking about like an even Infinity War? You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure people are still talking about it a little bit, but not as passionately as we are about Last Jedi. I was one of the people who <clears throat> walked out of the theater like, well, that was one of the best ones, like, hands down. And, you know, I had – the funny thing is, is like like you said, oh, things are down 71%. I've never seen the theater more packed than when I went to the premiere for nine. Like, it, it was the most packed one that there ever was. And I go to the same theater, pretty much the same showing for every Star Wars movie. And – it was more people than I've ever seen. It was kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. I just don't know where that. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. weird. That's a 71% down. For, for however much or little it's worth, uh, The Last Jedi dropped 76% second week. Okay. Now that, we're, now that we're in it, we're talking box office, let's go ahead and <laughs> uh, head into our Happy Beeps section because, of course, we've got Bill from Happy Beeps on the show so What's we're happening, gonna, guys? We're going to send it to Poe real quick and then come back and let Bill take over. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. I'm with the droid on this one. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats here. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats I'm with the droid Happy on this one, buddy. Come on. All right. So, Bill, I'm going to give it to you. I don't have right. the charts in front of me. I don't have the reins. I'm no honestly a little today. terrified. Go for it. No, this, we're just going to go over just a couple of things. We started talking about it a little bit just now, but I want to talk a little bit about where we are with uh, with box office. And I know that you know box office is uh, you know a secondary measure at best in terms of how how resonant and and long lasting these films are. But let's just talk a little bit about where we are. So um, as of the, the the latest data that we have, and by the way, this comes from Box Office Mojo, and it went into the Happy Beeps engine, and, and we spit out a whole bunch of different comparisons and statistics. So um, uh, we have we have information. Eight days in, meaning we have Thursday previews into last Friday up to two days ago. In the officially eight days of release, um, the Rise of Skywalker has made $316 million. It is the seventh movie to get to $300 million in eight days. Uh, Force Awakens and Last Jedi are in there. Infinity War and Endgame are in there. Black Panther and Jurassic World. Right? Those seven movies have gotten to $300 million in uh, in eight days. Now, let's talk about some comparisons in terms of the opening week. The opening week was $289 million. That's uh, Friday to, to, to Thursday. That compares to The Force Awakens, $390 million, and The Last Jedi, $296 million. So uh, adjusted for changes to, uh, to ticket prices over time, Force Awakens actually made $418 million in 2019 dollars, and Last Jedi is basically the, thing, the same. Things haven't really changed that much. What that means is that The Rise of Skywalker, after one week, is tracking at 70% of the business that The Force Awakens did. Now, by comparison, if I adjust everything for inflation, and we talk about original releases only, meaning no special editions, no 3D releases, or anything along those lines, Revenge of the Sith also happened to do about 70% of the business of The Phantom Menace. So we're pretty much right on tack in terms of third movies. Uh, Return of the Jedi uh, ended up doing 
58% of the original Star Wars, but you really can't compare anything as far as the original Star Wars is concerned because that movie was a <laughs> uh, was a freak. Um, so, um, sticking back with the, with the sequel trilogy, we talked a little bit about this, but, but Last Jedi did about 70% compared to The Force Awakens in its first week. Once the theatrical run was finished... That number went down to 62%, okay, which means that, that Last Jedi had less legs than Force Awakens did. Fewer people, by comparison, went to see it after that first week than did uh, The Force Awakens, okay? So um, just to kind of sort of sum this up, we really don't, we don't know how much legs that, that Rise of Skywalker is going to have. But as I mentioned earlier, after the first week, Last Jedi dropped 76%. Rise of Skywalker only dropped 70 or 71 percent, uh, which indicates that we're actually holding a little bit stronger than we did two years ago with Rise of Skywalker uh, than we did with uh, with Last Jedi. So just to sum all this up, what does it mean? I have no earthly clue, uh, except to say <laughs> that um, the uh, all of these movies, after seven or eight days, they all earned about 50 percent of what they're going to earn in that in that first week. So, as I say, we're at about $316 million now. If, if the other trends hold and we do a little bit better than we did with The Last Jedi, we're looking at a domestic run of somewhere around $640 to $650 million, which will put Rise of Skywalker squarely in the top 10 movies of all time. And uh, in about the top 40 movies of all time uh, adjusted for, uh, for changing ticket prices over time, uh, which is pretty good. And I think, you know, the, you look at the, the difference between critic score and audience score completely flipped, you know, between Last Jedi and, and Rise of Skywalker. Um, but, but bottom line is that these movies are going to end up being about the same in terms, of, in terms of box office success. Now, what's going to be interesting, though, is, you know, we talked a little bit about, about where we are from a business perspective. Well, uh, the, the numbers on this aren't precise, okay? But... The, the producers make about three times as much on merchandising sales than they do at the box office, right? That's just kind of historically, right? Um, and the, the unfortunate truth of the matter is they're making a lot fewer toys for this movie than they did for the, you know, for the previous. And uh, it seems as though, it seems that, you know, if I let just kind of look at where the trends are, it seems like what they're trying to do is they're trying to get ahead of, of you know, something fundamental that's going on in the merchandising space where, you know, for better or for worse, action figures, uh, even things like Lego, um, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we traditionally associate with a Star Wars release aren't really happening. You go to a Walmart now, you go to a Target, you look at the, you look at the aisles, you would not know that there's a new Star Wars movie coming out or, or out rather. Um, whereas, you know, you go back even with Solo and with The Last Jedi, there was a pre-release of, of merchandise in October and then a secondary release right when the movie came out. Um, and the aisles were full of new Star Wars stuff to buy. That's not really happening this time around. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, it's interesting to watch because from an audience reception point of view, this is a much more toy-friendly movie. Than we got a couple years ago, but it's not happening, and that's why I say it's it, you know it's going to be interesting to see where things go from here, because Disney, being much smarter than me when it comes to these things, has got you know uh, other irons in the fire, other tricks up its sleeve uh, in terms of how to actually pull in the real bucks. 
associated with these, uh, you know, with these stories, which is the stuff that people will buy uh, associated with. So anyway, that's uh, kind of what's going on. That's the, the that's the happy beeps view of the world eight days in. Yeah, it's well. First of all, I, I find it fascinating that the change has been pretty similar um, between the trilogies and also in between the films. Like, because the first film in each of these trilogies has been a cultural phenomenon, right? Of course, yes. Star Wars is like you said; it's incomprehensible how impactful it was. But Phantom Menace was the same was not the same thing, but it was a, a, a cultural phenomenon and then same thing with force awakens like Caden, you talked about never seeing it as packed for episode nine i'd never seen it as packed for force awakens like i'm surprised they didn't have people standing in the aisles because it was like (laughs) being with you know a hundred of your your best friends and so you know having kind of a similar drop and, and i feel like that's just kind of natural um in terms of like a trilogy like this like I think if you look at Marvel, you would probably find, like, maybe not Iron Man, but whatever came after, probably Captain America, once people knew what the MCU was really about, was probably one of its biggest earners. And as you went on until you get to Infinity War, it probably went down and down and down until it kind of stabilized. So that's really interesting. <clears throat> what do you. Wh- that first yeah. movie, when you haven't gotten one for a while, is when, like, the people come out from under rocks and everything like, Oh, there's a new star Wars movie. You know what I mean? And now that we're like new star Wars movie every year, pretty much people are like, eh, another star Wars yeah. movie now. Like just casual people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know that you'll ever get what we got in. Uh, this is maybe a little sad to say. I don't know that you'll ever get what we got in 2015. Again. Right. You know, for, for the same reason that when you know the first movie in phase four comes out, it, it'll be it'll be great. It will make money. It will be exciting. But it, but like you say, Brandon, it doesn't become that cultural phenomenon when it happens every every couple of years. And even waiting until uh, what are the, is it? Is it December of 2022? Is that the next one? Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah. You know, so even even waiting three years, especially when we'll have we'll have Star Wars TV and we'll have Star Wars Disney theme parks and we'll have virtual reality experiences, and and EA will pick up. And you know, there'll be all kinds of different you know different things happening. Um, the new movie when it comes out, I think they'll have a tough time generating the kind of excitement that they have for these three. Uh, saga movies and and Solo for better or for worse proved and I love Solo it proved that Star Wars is not invincible at the at the box office it has to be marketed correctly people are not going to automatically make it their you know their 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 uh, the, you know the center of their holiday experience the way a lot of people did in uh, in 2015 yeah I yeah Star Wars and Christmas go together they do now <laughs> yeah right? Yeah. And I, I definitely hope they stay with the December releases because it is a part of Star Wars for me now. I think that I I definitely agree with you that unless we take like a 15-year, 10, 15-year break, we're not going to see the numbers that we've seen with The Force Awakens. However, I think we can get pretty dang close if we keep quality. And right now, regardless of how you feel about the sequel trilogy, um, you know, it it's a little bit split. I mean... It's a it's a split fan base right now, as opposed to a Marvel. You know, Marvel is completely, for the most part, united. And if there's somebody who doesn't like this and or that movie, it's like, eh, I don't like it. It's not like, oh, 
I really hate that, and here's why. <laughs> Marvel just keeps up with consistency because they take the things that a hardcore fan base, I would know, I read Marvel comics, they take a hardcore fan base, what they like, and then they twist it so that everybody can understand it. And I'm not saying we need to copy Marvel when it comes to Star Wars. I'm <coughs> saying we need to keep giving the hardcore fan base a reason to stick around and consume everything while also giving something that a general audience can still get without watering it down or dumbing it down. There needs yeah. to be that perfect balance that Marvel has because Marvel's up to oh, almost like three, four films a year now. And it's because it just keeps growing. They keep driving it. And as long as we keep up with that quality, that care, and in my opinion, we get somebody in there that truly understands Star Wars and making films, I think we'll be in a good spot. I think what um, what, what Marvel did is, um, and Star Wars could do this, without without copying the notion of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what Star Wars can do is Star Wars can begin investing in multi-year storylines that are told across multiple media with characters that people um, that that people just that people love, right? And and uh, it's 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 funny to think about it now, but nobody envisioned what what Avengers Endgame would look like when Iron Man came out, right? Um, right. I think Star Wars can do that. I think Star Wars can do that without trying to hit a billion dollar home run right out of the gate, but but invest in storytelling that will keep people loyal, that will that will generate cultural buzz, um, you know, that that will engage people uh, across uh, age groups and um, and 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 become part of the conversation culturally. Uh, again, now that this now that this trilogy is complete, I think that they can do that. I think that it it will depend entirely on getting the right storytellers, the right creative people uh, behind the wheel. Yeah, and I think also like something that this past I guess month and a half, two months has kind of shown us, or at least shown me, is it's probably a good strategy just from a layperson point of view, for Star Wars to release a lot of content at the same time. Because you got <laughs> Fallen Order, and pretty much everybody uh, that I know liked Fallen Order. Those that didn't, that's okay, because you've got the Mandalorian, right? Which basically everybody loved. Um, but I'm sure there's people out there who don't like that. So then you have Rise of Skywalker. Like All of this stuff is coming out at the same time, so there's less time spent talking about what you don't like about something and more time spent on, well, you know, like I'm going to go play fallen order over again, or it's okay. I'm going to go look at baby Yoda memes instead of going to see rise of Skywalker again, whatever <laughs> it may be. Um, and, and you know, when you were talking bill about the, the toy production going down, I'm also kind of thinking, you know, with virtual reality, augmented reality, all of these things that are coming out, the Oculus quest was like $400. I think it's down to like 350 now, but we'll just say $400. If you have a toy at $8 a pop, I mean, you've got to sell a lot more toys to make that $400 than you do selling one Oculus. So yeah, yeah. practically, you know, I don't know what the, the front end expense is for them to create a toy versus an augmented reality game, but I think if you can continue to get good buzz around there and continue to get good buzz around your video games and stuff. Um, and I generally have liked the comics. Uh, there's some that I have problems with, Zach. I mean, 
comics is it, they're going to kind of stay steady there, right? Like, there's not really much to change there. I think what they're doing with the Kylo Ren comic, I, while I haven't read it, it's a great concept because it's a story that people actually do want filled in on. I think the problem with a lot of Star Wars comics, and this is just from a guy who reads a lot of comics, um, is that a lot of times they're they're kind of little one-off, to me, filler um, story plots. Now, in, at the beginning of last year, I was so hyped on the comics coming off of Charles Soule's Vader. That was taking a time period that was interesting, fascinating, and also creating it with content that wasn't afraid to go somewhere. And a lot of time, and then we we came out with the Age of the Republic, which was very interesting. Um, and then we came out with the Age of the Rebellion, which is where I started kind of falling off. And then the Age of the Resistance to me was very hit or miss. Um, I don't necessarily pay attention to the Star Wars main comic anymore, just because, like I said, to me it's it's kind of either it fixes things in canon or tries to, or it's, to me, one-off filler-style comic books. But I think how we can stay consistent is Project Luminous. you got Charles Soule coming in to do that. Huge fan of his, even outside of Star Wars. His new comic, Undiscovered Country, is a very brilliant idea of taking definite um, plots and stuff that has happened in America's history and kind of adding to it. So I think we get the right comic book writers in. We can keep pushing that forward because there's still so many areas we can go. It's just who's who's allowing the artists to go there and who's saying, no, we need to keep doing these types of stories. Because I think there's definitely plenty of room to expand. I just think Disney's afraid to expand through a comic book form because they don't want to start creating canon that they have to follow now. And I think they should just take other things and exploit those, like the Kylo story. I mean, who wouldn't read a year comic book run about Luke and Kylo's journey to the Academy or his training now that it's all done? Plenty of people Mm -hmm. are. And now that the sequel trilogy's done, I think we're going to get a lot more interesting reading as far as books and comics. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's kind of been, I've I've said that since the beginning of all this, like, Brandon's going to hate me for saying it, but the the books that have come out so far are good but it's been nothing that's like blown my mind and now that the sequel trilogy is over we're going to be able to get all these other stories that the stuff we actually want to hear you know what i mean like luke and ben or you know with the comic now kylo and how he actually met up with snoke and the knights of ren and and all these little interesting things that they probably well definitely couldn't tell until the series was over you know Absolutely. And I think I think it's one of those things like, you know, think about this here. This is a comic book that I've been pushing. And I, you know, if they don't get on it in the next three years, I'm just going to write it. Ahsoka and Luke, why the heck have they not met up? Wouldn't you think Ahsoka would like want to chase down and figure out who Anakin's son is, this Jedi that destroyed the Death Star? Wouldn't she want to know who that is? I mean, there's no like we're not we're not thinking outside of the box for these ideas is what I'm trying to say. What about a political Palpatine thriller comic? You know, you're not adding much except his growth into politics. You know, you don't have to get full into Plagueis, but like these little like side things that are still fascinating, but yet are offshoot like the Mandalorian. Well, and I I think also like you have the potential now to tell stories before the Mandalorian um, because I'm sure we're, they're not going to spend a lot of time talking about his youth or going back uh, and looking at Cara Dune as a rebel shock trooper or 
post Alderaan or anything. Yeah, like I would watch that. <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing um, for Star Wars is I think you need to have storytellers at the front, at the head of Lucasfilm. Because when George Lucas was in charge of Lucasfilm, yes, it was a, a multimedia empire, toys, all that stuff. But it was always, what story do we want to tell first? And I love Kathleen Kennedy, but I get the impression that she's more of a business person than a storyteller. Um, and that's just... I mean, where she came from. It's not like a knock on her, but I think if you get somebody like a John Favreau, like a Kevin Feige, like a Dave Filoni, um, Taika Waititi has proven himself. Like there's a lot of people out there um, who are revolutionary storytellers. And that's what I think Star Wars needs because that's when I think it's at its best. You know, as much as the the prequels may get poo-pooed on, like, they brought us Clone Wars, you know? And that brought us Rebels. And that, like, by by pushing the envelope, both in terms of technology and storytelling, all of these things, I think Star Wars is at its best. And I'm looking forward to the next decade. So, um, yeah. yeah. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be amazing. It is. I think, I think you know, I, I think the, um, the, this is what I was kind of saying earlier about that, you know, now Star Wars can really kind of take flight in terms of a, of a real 50 year vision that justifies Iger's purchase from from George Lucas, yes. uh, because there's no way that a company like Disney buys this for, you know, for five years and thinking they're going to make all their money, you know, and that and that's it. They have this massive, huge canvas. And for the same reason that that these the, these folks ambition for Marvel in phase four five and six is I swear it's going to be bigger than what we've seen in the first three phases of the MCU. That's what they should be, and that's what I'm confident that they are thinking about as far as Star Wars is concerned. they they got a long runway ahead of them. It's going to be great. Yeah, I agree, I agree. All right, I, it's time now. we got to get into it. we got to talk some Rise of Skywalker. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back to talk about Rise of Skywalker. We are back, guys, and of course, like I have mentioned, we are talking Rise of Skywalker, which, if you listen to the last episode, I came down pretty harshly on. Uh, I will say that my opinions have shifted uh, quite a bit on this movie, uh, thanks to Lindsay in particular, but also just like spending time thinking about it and writing about it and things like that. So, um, I'm sure you guys are going to hear me blab on about it for the longest time. But like I said, I brought these three guys on because I'm like, hey, I need to hear your opinions on it. So, Zach, I'm going to send it to you first. What are your overall impressions of Rise of Skywalker? Um, to me, 
while there are tiny things that I don't agree with or don't appreciate, I also recognize that every Star Wars film that I've watched, maybe aside from Empire, there's always been big things here and there that I didn't like or tiny things I didn't like. So that's a given for me as a Star Wars fan anyway. With that being said, I think this is the coolest Star Wars movie I've probably ever seen. I need to let time even it out, but I think it's the coolest movie I've ever seen as far as Star Wars goes. I think I finally got as close to what I was going to get from the KOTOR games into a movie of Star Wars. And so very thankful, very happy with the way things ended um, emotionally when it comes to heck yeah moments, you know, just every kind of feel I felt like I was on a roller coaster and I finally felt like we were using force powers that got me right back into star Wars, which was the Knights of the old Republic game. So I absolutely love this film. Caden, where do you come down on rise of Skywalker? I, I've been saying since it came out, since that first viewing that I'm like, Oh man, is that my favorite star Wars movie? Because it just hit so hard like from the get-go of the movie i remember my dad and i usually through the premieres kind of are like whispering back and forth to each other the whole time and uh i remember him saying like is all this happening in like the opening of the movie and because it just hits so hard and then it doesn't really let up and i love that about the movie that there's not much like downtime and you know we've spent two movies building these characters now let's see and there's still character building within the film, don't get me wrong, but it hits so hard and then it doesn't really let up till the end, and I love that about the movie. Yeah, it's a it's a nonstop, like, pedal to the metal, you know, and, and you don't really have time to stop because it is the end of the Skywalker saga and you have a lot of things to wrap up. Bill, where, where do you come down on the end of the Skywalker saga? Well, um... As I was watching the movie the first time, I loved it. As I was watching the movie the second time, I loved it. Um, for all the reasons that you guys have, have said, I thought the performances were tremendous. I thought that the um, uh, you know the action, the set pieces were terrific. The cast chemistry was great. Um, I've had some trouble with this, and, and I've, I've, I waited a while to write about it uh, and to talk about it with with anybody, really, because I, the last thing that I want to do is actually to take this movie away from somebody. And I'm really pleased to be talking with people, uh, you know, that, that that really did enjoy it, because the the truth of the matter is that I have not found this movie yet. I have not connected with it. Uh, what I what I come to Star Wars for generally um, is uh, is less in inside the viewing experience and more in terms of the the characters and what they go through and the the moral uh, arcs that they that they experience and in this particular movie it, it really honestly pains me to say it but I've got I have fundamental issues with some of the you know with some of the ways that things were were presented and constructed and um, uh, and and those things have, and we'll, I'm sure we'll kind of get into them. But those things have sort of prevented me from connecting with this uh, with this movie, which is really really hard for me. Because uh, once I haven't kind of connected with the with with the story in the way that I'm accustomed to, all of the all of the little things, the little nitpicks, the little kind of story no nos that 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 J.J. Abrams uh, went for in this seem to me to be very pronounced and very loud and very, uh, very distracting. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you guys can kind of give me this movie. 
right? That we, that as we kind of talk about it, you can, you know, we, we can kind of get to a place because because it, uh, it's it's never happened to me with a Star Wars movie before. Uh, I've got I, I I love story criticism. I love discussing what's good and what's bad, and I want people to love what they love. Uh, and and historically, I've been pretty good at finding what's finding what to connect with, not just with Star Wars movies, but with stories in general. And with this one, I just I, it, it 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 is physically painful, but but I have not connected with it, and uh, and I'll just have to see it twelve or thirteen more times. <laughs> well, it's it's not my show, but I, I would like to know. Like, can you give me one one of your biggest yeah. concerns? Because I, I just I want to know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, so the, the, this is this is really the the fundamental one. I I don't mind that Ray is uh, a Palpatine. I think I would have done it a little bit differently. I have some I, I had some ideas that I was hesitant to even say out loud because I thought that'd be too cool and they didn't happen. But I honestly don't mind that she's a Palpatine. What I what I mind, what I have a real problem with, um, is <clears throat> the. It, you boil the movie down to its fundamentals, right? And it's the the the, the central problem that Ray seems to have is that her bloodline makes her susceptible to evil, susceptible to the dark side, right? Um, her being a Palpatine is is something that is inside her that she needs to that that she needs to reject and to overcome. And I don't believe that right i don't i i the if if you i i think it's a um just being very honest i think it's dangerous okay i think it's a little i i don't like the idea of of the world being split into people that are innately good right and people who are innately bad that have a that, that have a challenge in terms of you know to sort of overcome their their bad genes and their bad their bad genetics. I and, think to me, sorry. Oh, yeah. No, no, please, please. I think to me, it, it it was kind of the reverse for me. It was more like you don't have to just because you are a Palpatine <clears throat> and you came from that lineage, you don't have to be that. I think that's exactly what Palpatine was, the devil whispering in the ear saying you know you you're you're from dark blood you were born to be evil and that that for her that that wasn't necessarily true that's why leia knew that she was a palpatine the whole time and it still didn't bother her because she knew who she was deep down and who she was in her heart that because of where you're from and who you are which is what the sequels are to me it does not completely define who you will be you define who you become you have a choice to make to choose whether you want to be good or whether you want to be bad just because you come from a family of evil does not mean you have to embody that evil or be a part of it it might shake you knowing that you're a part of that identity it might make you question who you are am i born evil i don't know but I don't want to be, and that's exactly Ray's storyline. Who am I? What do what do I belong to? And at the end of the day, for her, it didn't even really matter because we choose who we are. We choose our friends. We choose our family. And while I didn't really need the I'm Ray Skywalker at the very end, <laughs> like it still speaks yeah. to me in the sense like I choose the people I want to surround with. I yeah. some you know growing up, I had a broken home. I choose not to be a part of that anymore. I I love 
seeing them at Christmas, but I don't stick around with them because they're not my family. My family are my friends that I hang out with, that I've grown up with, my family that actually cared, and I choose to be a part of that. Yeah, and, and I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I completely agree with everything you're saying. The movie, however, seemed to be saying that there was something inside Ray that was fundamentally dark, right? That, that, that Palpatine had passed to her through the, through the bloodline, right? Something that, that, that needed to be overcome, that her genes were, you know, as, as, as contrasted with somebody, maybe Luke, maybe Leia or whatever, that, that Ray's Palpatine heritage was a what was a legitimate genetic thing that she had to overcome and that and that to me was because it like you know sort of what you said i think is exactly is exactly right but uh but the movie wasn't about choosing to follow a different path from your you know from your from your ancestors the movie to me seemed to be about overcoming a a an evil bloodline an evil heritage and that to me is is fundamentally different from what star wars has had to say right what star wars has had to say up until this point has been that anybody anybody can turn dark the best people in the world can be tempted to you know to the most monstrous of 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 darknesses and everything that we decide, everything that we that, that we become, is all about our is all about our choices. And nobody is protected from from temptation or from darkness by a quote unquote good bloodline. This is the, this is basically what I always what I take from Empire Strikes Back and from Return of the Jedi. Right? What Luke learned wasn't that he had a bad bloodline that he had to overcome. What Luke learned was that a good man, right, a good man, could turn evil therefore he could turn evil right and it had nothing to do with his bloodline it had to do with the choices that you know that that he made this movie seemed to me to be saying something fundamentally different was that ray by virtue of nothing other than 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 who her who, who her ancestors were well i think a, like yeah. I, I came down on palpatine the whole palpatine angle really harshly and called it the the worst decision ever made in Star Wars. I still hold that I don't love it. Um, but I think what they were trying to do is by having the Skywalkers and the Palpatines, you know, they're kind of the, the linchpins of the galaxy, the personifications of the light and dark. You have to bring those things to a close. Um, I think my, I think the biggest issue is they didn't, I don't feel like they set it up enough in the other two films. There were not enough because nobody was doing it. Nobody was nobody was setting it up. It was like you get a movie, you get a movie, you get a movie. <laughs> yes, but there I mean, there was at least some idea of where they were going. You know, uh, Kylo Ren. Adam Driver has talked about always knowing where Kylo Ren was going. Ray's talk or uh damn. Uh, Daisy Ridley's always talked about, you know, kind of knowing the direction that Ray is going to go. And I'm just, like, taking them off their word that Palpatine was a part of it the whole time. I don't know if it was. But I, I still feel like you could have done this movie without her being a Palpatine. Because while 
it didn't set up Palpatine's return very well um, in the other two films. It shows Rey's dark side. You know, you, you can tell that Rey is being pulled to the dark, you, and Kylo talks about being pulled to the light. And so I think the fundamental issue with this film is when you look in the, the larger saga aspect of it, it doesn't have anything to say about the balance of the Force. And that's the that's like the crux of the prequels. It's in retrospect the central idea of the original trilogy. And in seven and eight, you have that tension. In here, I don't know what it says about the balance of the force. Like, is the force balanced now that Palpatine is like legitimately dead? Does that mean there's no more dark side? Can, can I ask an even more fundamental question? Yes, I please. mean, how do we know that Palpatine is actually dead? Yeah, I think that's one of those, like, we saw the body go kind of things that we're just going to have to kind of accept. I say because he melted, like, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. <laughs> yeah, there, there, was a, there was a lot of Raiders of the Lost Ark in this movie. We'll come back to that. But, but this, you know, the, the, um, this is sort of part of, it is an extension of this, of, this, of this kind of issue that I have with respect to, you know, with respect to Palpatine. He's presented as, as, a, as a fundamental evil, Right. And and in this movie, he's kind of reduced to his um, to his iconography, right? To his he's he's got a very it's a deep, scary voice, and he has great for, uh, force lightning powers, and he, um, you know, and he's got a massive fleet, you know, with now thousands of planet destroying, uh, you know, lasers. But to me, that was never those things were never what was scariest about Palpatine, right? What was scariest about Palpatine, he knew what your desires were, right? And he always told you the truth. And he made you believe that where you were going was on the right path. And, um, uh, and, and before you knew it, you had burned down everything that you would, that, that you ever wanted, right? Um, you know, based purely on his manipulations, right? In this movie, he doesn't really do that. He just kind of stands there and and says, you know, that you have the you know take over the galaxy and I will take your body and 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 none of that is tempting. None of that is scary. Not in this. Not in the way that he was absolutely terrified in the prequels and in Return of the Jedi, because he's. It's like you said. He is the devil. Right, and the devil doesn't want to kill you. The devil doesn't want to destroy you. The devil wants to make you like you know, like him. And and it it makes sense right up until the moment that you lose your soul. And none of that was really in this movie. What was in this movie was it was was a scary dude in a cloak that could shoot lightning out of his fingers. And I don't know, I don't know how he got there. I don't know how we killed him. I don't know how we won. And I'm not even sure if we did. Because he, he he lived the first time. But I, I think the way we're supposed to know, which, I mean, I I like how they brought him back because it was a mystery. I like that they kind of kept it, like, it wasn't just like, hey, here's Dark Empire, he was a clone. Like, they kind of mentioned, like, hey, it could have been cloning, it could have been this, could have been that. But <clears throat> I think the, the point we were supposed to kind of get behind, which maybe would have been a little clearer if the Force Ghost would have been there physically... But it was that all the Jedi worked together to defeat Palpatine in the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, like all the Force ghosts were like hyping Ray up, and I—that is my one gripe with the movie. I wish we could have seen them maybe all come together, but I think it was supposed to be inferred that they all came 
Minteray and empowered her to be able to defeat uh, Palpatine for one last time. I, I I love that aspect of it. I think that the all the Sith versus all the Jedi part is is great. Um, I just again don't know if her bloodline was really that relevant. You know, this is all this has always been essentially Skywalker's versus Palpatine's. And the the arc I like, while maybe, you know, if we had had a fully planned trilogy, which I believe J.J. when he says he wanted that to happen, but J.J. didn't do eight, and he had the choice to do it, and he turned it down. Ryan decided to do his own thing, and J.J. decided after making a very safe movie of seven, he's like, you know what? People are going to hate it regardless. Just going to make my movie, and that is what it is. I think that was his plan all along for Palpatine. What I think should have happened, I will always champion Plagueis because he's a new character from an old time and made the whole thing make sense without digging back into an old character and be like, oh, we can use this. It should have been him as the final baddie because of the foreshadowing long ago. It wasn't. We got what we got. With Palpatine, I think he was insanely broken and totally messed up, and there were rules to what he could do. But he did learn the power to keep living, the power to immortality. I also think that part of that journey with him was he didn't even know the rules. I think he was the devil, though, because he was the person that got inside Ben's head, essentially. He has been the voice inside of his head the entire time shifting him and turning him you just only got that context because we only got him with one movie had we had episode eight with just a little bit of hints and clues of palpatine it would have made a little more sense but the movie is what it was and what it was was palpatine's back he's more evil than ever and i i believe that i got that vibe he looks totally more evil than ever he's almost like a horror movie in my opinion the way he looks and the way his stature and he's still manipulative manipulative because in the beginning of the movie he's like hey this is your crown or this is your throne ben like you should do this and so ben goes and does his thing and that starts his arc and then the moment ray shows up what's up empress palpatine trying to goad her but it's it's too little too late she has already decided who she's wanted to be Therefore, his powers do not work on her as far as digging her in. And what does he do? He he automatically shows his hate for the Skywalkers by flipping Ben into the same hole that he got. Not the same hole, but the hole that he got thrown into. He's still manipulative. And he always had a plan. This was always a part of the plan. We look at Aftermath. This was part of the contingency. We just didn't get enough context to... The people that didn't enjoy this movie, I don't believe, got enough context to totally get behind it because it does throw you in there and says you know messages from the dead he's back and you know blah 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 but to me star wars has always been a serial and you know a lot of the movies change timelines attack of the clones was a totally 10 year different timeline we were just supposed to jump into it revenge of the sith we never really got context of the war until the clone wars we were just expected to jump into it and with this movie while overwhelmed the first time the second viewing I jumped into it. I embraced it. And there are some things that could obviously, I think all of this could have been done better, but I really liked what I got. And that's why I think it's the coolest movie. There are some things, but I think it's the coolest. Oh, I think it's, I think it's the coolest also. I don't, and I don't mean to dismiss any of that. I think that, that, as I say, I think that especially the first 45 minutes, 
I thought that the cast chemistry was great. I thought the I, I thought Absolutely. that the um, uh, I thought uh, Adam Driver's performance all the way through this movie, all the way through the trilogy, I think is I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be remembered as as just one of the one of the exceptional contributions to you know to Star Wars. And I include the the people that that designed his story as well as his as well as his performance. Um, I think, uh, and, and I think that for that reason, I think that people will continue to come back to this movie. I, I, uh, my, I think it, it works, maybe it may work better as a standalone. Yeah. As compared to, as so compared to working as something that is intended to build on and conclude what came before, because, um, I think that, let me put it this way. I think that, that a Palpatine. A Palpatine that had learned from his previous failure, right? Uh, you know, a Palpatine that you know, because the, the the idea of Anakin, right? Anakin was Anakin was a correction in the Force, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, a correction in the Force to the rising to the rising of the Sith. That's that's sort of what the canon says, right? And and what does Palpatine do? He says, "Well, I, I'm not going to try to destroy this kid. I'm going to turn him, right?" And where he failed. Mm-hmm. Was uh, you know he underestimated he underestimated the power of hope and compassion and love in this man's family right and that was that was what happened and a Palpatine that had learned from that right a Palpatine that had that had 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 somehow that you know forgetting about the fact that okay we uh, he had a kid who had a kid imagine if if Palpatine had learned to harness whatever it was that created Anakin in the first place right. Whatever, whatever power in the Force created the Chosen One to counter the rise of the Sith, imagine a Palpatine that had not only conquered life and death, but had also harnessed that power and created, and created Rey, right? Another Chosen One that was, that was you know, a virgence in the Force, right? And imagine that. Yeah. Imagine Ray having had to deal with that, to deal with the fact that, that you know, not only were her parents nobody, she's barely even human. I think also you have Anakin, you know, is a creation of the light side who turns dark and then back to the light. I think it could have been really interesting if you have Rey be a creation of the dark side, you know, and you still can have the same movie. You still have the connection to Palpatine um, without kind of bringing in the whole bloodline thing, which I think gets a little gets a little messy and choppy but let's go let's go to to other topics because we can we can talk about palpatine and, and whether we like him or not you know for for hours on end because there's so there's so much to dig into but i want to get into kylo ren ben solo and his story here because i feel like you know like bill said adam driver kylo ren all of that is good i think that's going to be the best remembered part of this trilogy so ben demption it happened uh we all knew whether we wanted it to or not that it was going to happen um so in terms of how it was handled um in terms of how it was told in the story all of that stuff zach i know you were very anti ben demption coming into the movie where do you come down on it now did you like how it was done are you on board now where do you stand um i think well yes yes i think if you're gonna do it i think this is 
I, I still don't use the word redemption. I use um, I use repented. He repented for what he done, and he was sorry for what he did, and he made it tried to make it right at last. I think redemption is a big word that implies forgiveness, and when you murder almost are responsible for an entire planets upon planets worth of death, I don't think that deserves the title redemption. But his story of getting back to being Ben. I believe that is the best way it could have happened because what did I want? I wanted Ben to say, F that Palpatine. I want my power. And that's what he did all the way up until the point that he decided to, up until the point that he decided to turn back and, and stop being Kylo Ren, he was all about power for the sake of power. And he was going to try and double down on Palpatine. That's what I wanted. I wanted that. And I did get that. And then I got a beautiful story that said, Hey, you keep holding on. Let go. Let go of this burden. Be who you were supposed to be. Be Ben. Be my son. And that could have only been, to me, forgiven by Han. Because that's where the, the true no going back started. And that beautiful story of Ben running to save the day to help Ray, On top of the added thing that J.J. did add to Kylo Ren. He totally you know, brought back their divergence in the force. And I appreciated that because it's still built on where their heads were. So I think this is the absolute best version of a redemption story or a coming back to yourself story that you could ever get. I, I love this aspect. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautifully done in perfection. And I think Kylo Ren will be one of the characters that truly stands the test of time. Yeah, I, I think that... You, you kind of got caught, obviously, with with Carrie Fisher's passing and how you were going to execute this. I wonder if Han was a part of the original idea of how they were going to bring about this. I'm, I'm sticking with redemption because it's mythology, and I, I think it doesn't necessarily play by the same rules, but that's kind of up to interpretation. Honestly, the thing that hit me the most in that scene like on the first viewing was how little music there was. And I, I think mm. John Williams obviously is the maestro. He's the master. He's the greatest film composer of all time, without a doubt. But I think his greatest skill is knowing when to use music, and, but more importantly, when not to use music. When to let the emotion of the scene take care of that for you. And I think... Not only did Adam Driver build this character so well, where whether you loved him or hated him, when he was on screen, you wanted to see what was going to happen with him. You know, that's the same thing Ian McDermott did with Palpatine. Love him or hate him, you want to see what he's going to do next. And the the parallels that it has with what happens on Starkiller, the connection to Leia, um, all of it, I think, worked excellently. So... Bill, you have you have kids. You you <laughs> obviously are connecting with this story on a different level uh, than than Zach or myself or Caden. So, as a father, looking through it in that lens, what did you think about Ben Demption? Um, I think that um, I, I think you know to your to your point. Uh, to your to your point, Brandon, I insist upon living in a world where uh, you know a parent's love for their child can move mountains. 
right? Can change, can literally change the world, right? And there's a, there is a, there is a rich history in Star Wars about that very thing. And, um, and on those grounds, I kind of knew that it would, it had to go down that way. And I agree with Zach that there were elements of it that were just absolutely pitch perfect. I thought that the conversation with Han and uh, the conversation with Han and Ben was was absolutely beautiful uh, uh you know including the the last line which was really pretty inspired um i also i also loved that immediate at that moment ben began taking on some of the characteristics of his father right some of the looseness some of the humor immediately began you know began coming into him and you, you got a sense of the man that he could have been which i thought was beautiful and and, and tragic um I, I thought that the entire thing, I thought it happened a little too quickly. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more at the beginning of the movie, uh, it, you know, it, some of the seeds planted that this is where, you know, where the cracks in his armor actually were, because that, that wasn't really, it wasn't really present at all until the moment it happened. And when it happened, it, it, it was a little bit narratively um, convenient you know, for me. Uh, but the fact that it happened, um, I don't find it, I, I find it very believable. I find it very, um, uh, 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 resonant. I think, um, uh, yeah, like, like I said, I just, I, I, I don't entirely get the force dyad concept. Um, I, I don't entirely get how much of Ben's, uh, redemption or repentance, um, is based upon the fact that he evidently uh, was romantically in love with 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 Ray and she with him. I I that that was surprising and unnecessary to me. Um, but uh, uh, but but as I say, I thought that the performance, given the given the narrative constraints that were sort of placed upon the upon the filmmaker, I I really thought it was I really thought it was gorgeous. I thought it was nice. Can I? Can I just say one more thing about Ben Debshin? And to, to and again, like I, I totally, I, I absolutely love what you're saying because it's sometimes the opposite of myself. And I always think that as Star Wars fan, we should be challenged to look outside of our own opinion. Um, so I'm gonna kind of tell you what I got out of that. And with that whole thing is, you ever met somebody who's just tough as nails, and then they just finally break down. Like they're tough all the way. And then they just break down after a big moment happens. That's the way I look at Ben. He's stubborn as an ox. He's going to fight to the death. And he literally got stabbed to death, had that healing factor, which did have very explained rules to me within the movie. Had that healing thing happened, he would have died. And the way I got it was Han's like, dude, look at you. You've burned down everyone. You've killed me. You've killed thousands of people. And now look at you. What have you got to show for it? You got a hole in your chest. When are you going to stop holding on to this? And that's what I got from him. I think Ben had not had he had he won that fight would still be Kylo Ren, but he lost and he had a death, the near death experience, and with the ghost of his dad there to tell him like, "Look at you, man. You don't even realize how broken you are. You need to change your ways. Finally, give it up. Let it go." let it go and him taking that saber throwing it into the ocean to me it is like it is probably one of the most beautiful star wars plots ever just because of how it was executed um because i appreciated that he was stubborn till the near end that he was holding on to the near end until he literally had nothing left to hold on except for love 
forgiveness and peace in his heart and remorse for what he did. Uh, to go back to what Bill was saying earlier, I think you do see the cracks in his armor, um, both in the, the, the trilogy overall and in this film. I mean, you have the physical representation of it with the literal cracks in his armor, but that scene on the Death Star where he talks about not being able to go back to Leia, uh, you, you just you know that he if he's talking about the fact that he can't that means he's thought about if he can you know and so that that makes it very emotional when, to me and clear go ahead when was that scene uh, i'm sorry when was on it the, I'm, I'm... on the second death star right when he's confronting ray he says uh something to the nature of you know i can't go back to her just like you can't or something of that something to yeah. that nature yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I think, I think, I, like I said, I would have liked to have seen something from the very beginning of the movie because I, I that, think you know, yeah. And that kiss bothered me from the first viewing, but the sense I, the sense I got, and I'm, I swear, I'm not trying to like write around it. I, this is just the vibe I got from the second viewing, like that it might have been romantic, it might have not. I think they were both just happy it was over, and it's one of those reactionary things where you're just like, thank God it's over. And I, I think there was some romance there, but I, I don't now I necessarily look at it as like, thank God we're alive. Like, thank God it's over. Yeah, it you could know? be. That's that's the vibe I got. Like, honestly, I, I get why. I get why he's into her. Right. I, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. He, he makes them good uh, what, girls go bad, man. I suppose good so. girls go the, the other thing, the other thing about this movie, which again, it's just maybe it's just it seems just a little bit unnecessary. Is you know the whole thing happened in like sixteen hours. Yeah, you know it's that's it's a, crazy that's, how I mean, compact the timeline is for the entire sequel trilogy. Like I feel like it's unnecessary, unnecessarily tightly packed. You know, like I yeah, I, yes, we all wanted to know what Luke was gonna say next, but I think you could have just. You could have moved The Last Jedi, you know, in a year or two after uh, Force Awakens and told a yeah. very similar story, maybe with Rey having been training a little more on her own. You maybe have to go a little bit of a, di- a different direction with Luke. I- obviously, I love The yeah. Last Jedi. Um, but I just think in terms of the whole arc of it, I mean, it literally happens in you know, basically a year. Yeah, basically. I I didn't mind it so much. Doesn't with the last Jedi happen in eight hours? Uh, something like that? Is it the fuel? Like didn't they have like eight hours of fuel or something like that? And like, it's very Empire oh, Strikes Back. Oh yeah. No, you're 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 absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but in this one it just it, it just it it was it almost seemed it's so much. It was so much character evolution, and so much movement, and so much plot development, and everything like that. It, where it just got to the point where, where it, it just to imagine her going from somebody who literally hates the guy to somebody who's so relieved, and she kisses him in in sixteen hours. I just I didn't see that that evolution. I didn't see that development. I could kind of believe right that it was it's sort of fine. there in in Ben from the beginning. But it's a fine I line between love and hate, though. Well, and There's I think a fine she. Line between love and hate. I think she also think knew. She knew what Ben, who Ben was, because of that Force Dyad connection. I don't think the Force yeah, Dyad was her and Kylo. I think it was her and Ben. So on some level, to me, 
she knew who Ben was. That's why she fight so hard for him to come back in the last Jedi. That's why she says, I wanted to take your hand, Ben's hand here in this movie. Um, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I think she sees through the facade of Kylo Ren in a way that other people can't, um, whether narratively that, that is a romantic connection. I think it kind of just depends on, on where you come down as far as shipping and fandom in general. Um, because that's a, like a whole conversation that happens, but yeah, I mean the 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 timeline is is a little frustrating because of how much happens in this movie. I think it it shows that Lucas's faster, more intense um, has a limit because you can't just <laughs> keep going faster and more intense. Like I feel like this movie does, and the reason I think to go back to to. Bendemption that it works so well that scene works so well is it gives us a second to breathe more than anything yes. you know it's like the only point in the movie the only where, point. where where somebody is really just sort of sitting still and and uh, and and grappling with something um, well I want to get and, into and it was it. beautiful yeah I want to get into like Ben Solo once he's back because I have a Ben Solo theory that I want to run by you guys and we've got such a mixed panel here i think it'll be interesting to see everybody's reaction so before i i share that with you guys ben solo what he did in the movie um let's let's go ahead and put the kiss aside because we've already kind of discussed that but in terms of coming to fight palpatine um giving life force to ray all of that stuff how did you feel about how that was executed in the movie caden i'm gonna go send it to you yeah, um, I'll, I'll glance over my Ben Demption thing. I loved it. I, I thought it was going to happen kind of from the beginning um, of the trilogy, really. And I loved that it happened. And some of my favorite moments in the movie are of Ben Solo. Um, and it's such a short time. All the stuff we get with Ben is just so... It's pretty pure because it's um, you feel a lot in his character, I feel like, that it, it just a huge weight's lifted off of him. You know what I mean? With the dark side and everything. And I, I love his shrug. When oh, my. Right don't get me started on the shrug. <laughs> Best part of Because it's so Han Solo. It's so Han Solo. And it's just like, oh, man. Like, when I saw that, everybody in the theater went nuts. And it was just like, all right, well, now I'm about to kick all of your asses. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I love the little stuff, even like the... <clears throat> Someone was talking about the blaster he had when when he first gets to Exegol and he's shooting, I think it's just the random troopers, that they're pretty sure that's the blaster Lando gave to him when he was a kid. When he, oh, I didn't catch him. Because it's like all silver or something, right? I didn't read whatever book that was where I knew Lando gave him a gun and a cape and like Leia was like, why did you give him a cape? <laughs> I think it was the last <laughs> shot in there, yeah. No, but he like yeah. put it in a locker for for when he was older. Yeah, no, I love that. And it was just so it was very quick. Um, you know, his whole transformation into Ben. But then once he was Ben, you got all these solid, awesome moments with him as Ben. And it was he like he his well, his last line in the movie, actually, is very cl- like Han Solo, where he jumps on that big chain. He's like, ow. 
You know, like yes. that's something you'd expect. I loved you know? that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Zach, where did where did you come down on Ben Solo himself? Uh, just about how he who he is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was refreshing. Um, it it felt like a cloud had been lifted over him, and he was now. Um, allowed to be the person that he was always supposed to be. And I think it adds to what I am calling the tragedy of Ben Solo. Um, I think it adds to it. It's, it's a sad story for me. I mean, I, I, in the short time that we got him, he was awesome. And what could he have been like? How much, how much could he have grown? What good could he have done to the galaxy? Who could have he have been? Had he not listened to the demons? Had he not, you know, listen to the past um and had he embraced who he could have been as a skywalker i mean it's it's definitely it's a sad story and it's one that i will be pondering about for a very long time i think i may be able to relieve some of that tragedy in just a minute but bill (laughs) what do you think about about ben solo in this movie I i thought that that last um the last iteration of the force connection between Ray and Ben was, was brilliantly executed. And it was, you know, unlike some of the other things in the movie, I thought that the setup in terms of, of establishing the kinds of things that they could do together, um, was, was really, really brilliantly executed. And by the time, uh, you know, by the time they, by the time he is racing to her side and they are passing objects through the force to one another, um, it was, it was exhilarating. It was terrific. It was a really great, uh, great moment, both from a character perspective and just from a kind of action set piece point of view. And uh, I agree with what the other guys are saying. I think that that what the movie did a really good job of was was giving you a glimpse of what this guy could have been, uh, and what the and 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 his determination to be that to be that best version of himself uh, for however much time he you know he had left. Uh, like I said, I think a lot of the a lot of the the, the stuff towards the very end, uh, in terms of how Palpatine was defeated and and things like that, are a little bit a little bit overly convenient, uh, you know, for me. But the arc of Ben Solo, um, I thought was was vintage Star Wars. I thought it was really well well performed and, and well conceived. And there's a really nice through line from the beginning of of The Force Awakens all the way to the end of. Uh, of this one, except the except the kiss, I just don't quite just don't quite get it. <laughs> but but other than that, I thought it was was really 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 almost perfect. All right, so now we have to get into my Ben Solo theory because I thought I I, I love everything they did with them. The shrug is already in like top five best Star Wars moments for me. Um, I don't know why we can't have gifts as our wallpaper on our phone already, but that will I, I could watch that for hours on end. But I. Th- think and and mind you this is a headcanon i don't i think one of the biggest flaws of this movie is that they didn't lay something like this out i don't think ben solo's dead i think oh god i think ben <laughs> i would solo, hate this he I was alive think about this man let's talk about let's it. let's do it okay ben solo lives in ray now okay the force dyad has become one i see Palpatine and his motives here to to transfer his soul over to Rey to 
as a precursor, as a clue that that is what Ray and Kylo are going to do. I think so. And, and I'm going to have an article coming out on this later this week. So make sure you stay tuned to to really look at it in depth. And, and I really lay out the evidence and everything. But the short of it is when Ben fades, there is a look on Ray's face. And it is not one of loss. It is not one of pain. It is not one of even feeling bad that Ben finally came back to the light and doesn't get to live that out. It's a look of understanding and almost shock and awe. And that's because the Force Dyad has become one. Ben Solo, he fades, but he fades into Ray. And I, if you look at the other Force ghosts that we have, particularly Yoda, because I, I think his death is most similar to what we see with Ben. He fades and Luke immediately has this look of loss on his face because he's lost someone close to him. I think the kiss is meant to show us that these two have very strong emotions for each other before presenting this idea with the, the loss of Ben. Okay. Um, There is a there's also the through line of the life force here and the life force that's transferring in between Leia and Ben, Ray and Kylo, all of that is a is a very important idea to this film. So when you get to the end and Ben is transferring that life force to bring Ray back from the dead, that's because that's what she did for him earlier in the movie. You know, mm-hmm. when she stabbed him, for all intents and purposes, he was dead. Right? She brought him back to life. He brought her back to life. Balance. But then you get to the end of the movie. And Ben Solo fades away. Every character that has ever faded away like that becomes a force ghost. We see Luke, who faded away, as a force ghost. We see Leia, who faded away, as a force ghost. At the end of the movie, you have to ask yourself, why don't we see Ben? In Return of the Jedi, we saw the masters of the prequel era, even though we didn't know that at the time the Return of the Jedi came out, but Obi-Wan, Yoda, Anakin, they are the previous generation. Now we close where it all began. The circle is now complete, but we don't see Ben. You have to ask yourself why. Everything is metaphor. Joseph Campbell said that everything is metaphor, and I think metaphorically, Ben Solo lives in Ray. That's it. Mic drop, I'm done. Be, I, I agree with you. I think there could even almost be more of it because did you see the tweet about Project Luminous? Uh, the one where it was kind of like until now or something like that? Somebody basically asked, "Is Pro- does Project Luminous have anything to do with Ben Solo dying in... 
not. And it was Charles Soule responding, I think. He was like, you're asking the right questions. Mm. I think I, I like, think they all huh. but luminous beings are we. I, I think if Ben is involved in any of this, it is beyond with the other force ghosts helping Ray, guiding her along. I think he's there in spirit. And I think that piece inside of her is the piece that she got to see him come back. And if he's truly a force ghost, which is what I believe, he should be able to communicate with her for a long time and be able to be with her there. I don't think, I really hope, as much as I appreciate the thought out theory, I hope to God he's not alive or has no chance of coming back alive because it takes away the sacrifice. I didn't even want him, at first when I saw Ray. I wanted her to just stay dead and him have to live knowing that he did the right thing at the end, but he had done all this bad. I wanted Ray to fish, like to not come back. It's only by the second viewing that I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And they established the rules. I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. But I don't, because once we start bringing people back to life, listen, man, I read a lot of comics. You know how many times Superman's <laughs> come back alive? Like it's so frustrating. I just, I want things, if I want the rules, like Palpatine was the exception. You get one thing to suspend my disbelief. And Palpatine was always this exception. And that's why I want to go back to the Old Republic, where there's still primitive times, where these expansive powers have room to grow, but like they're not expected. When somebody does this force power, it's, not, it's never been done before, so it's unexpected. I want Palpatine to be the only one that knows how to come back to a physical life force. Because after that, what is the sacrifice? What is the reward? If you can bring yeah. anyone back. But I don't think, I think you're bringing him back. That, yeah, I agree. I'm not saying like alive in a body. Because he's, he's You're dead. saying as a force but, ghost. As a force ghost, definitely. But like Brandon said, especially in within Ray, because she literally says when she's healing that uh, the sandworm, right? Is yeah, that what it's called? I, I don't know. The big um, snake. The big snake. Yeah. When she's healing that, she literally says to BB-8, you put a little bit of your life force into this creature, into the, uh, the other creature. Well, and, and, and also on top of that, what happens when she does heal him? The snake it's moves scar. and there's yeah. light. Like she reveals the light. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Side note, so, did anybody so what notice that, that Ben's scar disappeared when she healed him? Yeah. yeah. That was pretty cool. That's so cool. That's cool. I didn't notice that for a while. Anyway. So this is this uh it's a little Harry Potter. Uh, yeah, I I would say so. I mean, I am the Harry Potter generation, so it would make sense that I would. No, I, I, I love Harry Potter. I think it's great. But but what are we really talking about here? Are we talking about that 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 Ben is in in what sense is he alive? In is it his personality? Is it his consciousness? Is, what I mean, what is the what what's the metaphor? I would I would say it just in terms of you know the evidence that we have now, it'll turn out being his consciousness. I think. One, you have L3 living in the Falcon, and we see that in the solo novelization much more in depth, where it's the two arguing. I think that was a, a precursor. But also to go back to something you were talking about earlier, where you said Anakin was a correction in the Force because the Force was sick. In Master and Apprentice, there is a prophecy that says, when the Force itself sickens, past and future must split and combine. We already had mm. seen the split into the Skywalkers and Palpatines who are 
the metaphorical light and dark side and then the combining is what happens at the end when Ben goes into Ray. There's not really a not creepy way to say that, but I think that <laughs> I, I think and I, that's Luminous what I think will it is. be it's weird. Yeah. It, that's interesting. It needs to be laid wild. out more in the movie. I will say that. I, I it needs to be like if you have the look that she has on her face and she just goes Ben or something like that. Like just to to let us know that he lives on in her, you know, and, and that's I, what force ghosts do. Force they ghosts don't. live on. They live on, but not the force dyad to me is saying that these two are they're connected in a way that is extremely extremely rare. I think it it's what. Anakin was seeking was to have a connection with somebody on the level and as naturally as Ben and that and dyad Rhaenys. saved the galaxy. That's enough. No, I'm, to me at least. I mean, I'm not saying that if Ben is actually dead, that the sacrifice wasn't worth it. I'm just saying, I think there's something bigger going on here that than force ghosts in the way that we understand them as is. I, agree I think it's uh, I think it's conceivable that that Ray could be carrying more of Ben with her than, for example, you know, Luke or, or Leia, um, or with the, you know the way that Obi Wan and Yoda did with with Luke. I think that 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 that's consistent with the notion of the dyad, which, like I said, we really don't know what that is or what or how it's supposed to work. Um, but I think that, I think immortality in, in Star Wars is a, um, it's a, you know, I, I think that it, it means something specific, right? Immortality in Star Wars, at least the way that I can always recall hearing George Lucas talk about it, right? It's the, you know, the, that when you are a good person, when you, when you give back to the world, people remember you. Right when you when you are a person that lives more for others than than for yourself, then there is part of you that that lives on, right? That that you never you never truly die, right? And this is what this this is what you know you, as you said, Brandon. Everything's a metaphor. The idea of of Jedi becoming so um, uh, in tune with the Force and their and their role in the world that they that they that they truly live you know live forever. And that's something that 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 the Sith, for all their all their power and all of their alchemy and so on and so forth, never understand and they can never fully achieve. I think that that, that immortality means something specific in that sense. And I think that to the extent that Ray and Ben have a have a deeper connection between the two of them, I think it's reasonable to assume that when he passes into the Force, she's carrying more of him with her. I don't know what it means to say that he's not dead in the sense that Luke is dead and Leia is dead and so on. I think it was, frankly, I think it was a mistake not to have him there at the homestead. I think that, that um, it'd be interesting to know whether it was deliberate, uh, Brandon, but I think it, it, it could just as easily have been kind of an oversight. I think that, um, uh, I think that no matter what though, more of who Ben Solo actually is, is, is out there in the universe because he faded into the force. Right, and because he lived his last moments for somebody else as opposed to for himself, and in that sense, he he is alive in the sense that the others are. I don't know what it means to say that he's more alive or differently alive. 
Uh, and I don't know exactly what the movie has to say about that. It's an interesting question. I look forward to reading your. Uh, well, I would I would agree uh, that the movie, like I said, it doesn't lay it out as clearly as I think a concept like this should be laid out. I think the there's evidence for it there if you're looking at it through that lens. Um, to me, there's been a lot of of upheaval about the fact that basically Ben doesn't get any speaking lines. Um, I think that's really critical, though, to to this idea because Anakin was was searching for a connection on the level that Ray and Ben have, where you don't even need to say anything, right? There's a lot of times, even in in uh, Revenge of the Sith, Padme's like, "Don't hide this from me." They never. He wanted them to be one, but they were never able to be one. And the reason that I think you have no speaking lines for Ben at the end of the film is because him and Ray understand each other on a level that is beyond words. I had a, a pastor once that presented the idea that I really like where the words we use to describe God can't even describe God because God is so far beyond our little human words, you know? So we use these ideas like perfect and things like that, but it's like, it's even beyond that. It's beyond whatever the word beyond means. Like it's this undefinable idea, right? I think that's kind of, if we look at it through the lens of Star Wars, that's what the Force is. And this Force dyad that is is combining together to heal the Force, understand each other on a, a visceral level, and the end of the movie is that happening completely. I w- I'm not going to lie. This idea has been something that's really helped me like this movie a lot more. If it, if it comes out in Project Luminous or, or whatever afterwards, that something close to this is not what actually happened and Ben did just die and we don't get to see Force Ghost, Ben, but he's Force Ghost out there except we're only going to visually see it in like a comic or something, that would be very, very unsatisfying for me. Interesting. All right. So for, so from your point of view, Brandon, the, 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 really, the movie really hinges... Not so much on on Ray versus Palpatine, but the movie really seems from from and listening to you, the movie really seems to hinge on Ray and Ben finding something in the Force that has that has eluded. Yeah, and again, it's it's the weird thing where I feel like this film is a it's a great standalone movie. It's I don't know if it's necessarily the fitting end to the Skywalker saga, because there are so many questions that are still left out there that if the obvious answer is the answer, it's very unsatisfying. Um, like this, if, if Ben's just gone, it's not very satisfying because I mean, Ray's just still there. There's no other half of the same, you know, it's been said multiple times that they're the you know, the Force Dyad, they are two halves of the same protagonist. So what better way to wrap the story up than to have them literally come together? I'm really hoping that's what Project Luminous is. I really hope we get more on that. I think 
we kind of have to, you know, like there's just a lot of questions and honestly rules Zach, like you were talking about earlier that get set up that if he's not alive in some sense, you just literally just threw away all the rules you had in the other eight movies for this one movie. Like it, it just doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense. And to me, I mean, I just, I don't see it. I, I don't see it. I think for me, I, I feel quite the opposite with Ben. I, I think like if I see him as a force ghost talking to Ray and Project Luminous, that's really all I need because I had everything I needed. I think what we need to do, and it's what Lindsay's talked about on our last episode of Sith Talk, we were lightly talking about Old Republic uh, story plots because I have like three of them written. Um, and mm-hmm. she was like, well, you know, what if we get to see the first dyad? You know, what if like there's a Revan and Bastila type of dyad that that works within the force? We need to understand what this is. We don't even know what it is. I mean, really, we don't. Yeah. So it's hard yeah. to argue. Yeah, and, and for me, as far as like Ben, though, I got everything I needed. And once you start bringing people in any sense or form back to life for me, just as a guy who's read too many Superman died and came back <laughs> stuff, I don't like I want dead to stay dead. Like we're in this part of TV, of shows, of content where it's like, you know, back when uh, Oliver Queen got thrown into the died and got stabbed and the cw took a three-week break and we're like he's dead you know we were all wondering and then he got brought back from the lazarus pit we were like all right you get one and then what lost me on arrow was there were five thousand people that come back to dead and live i just if there's rules of people coming back i want those rules to be so strict like with Jon snow that hadn't happened in game of thrones before so when it did it meant something and it really only happened like once to a main character. Mm -hmm. So those rules felt earned. It felt justified because that was the one they had. So if it is, it is what it is. But just for me, you know, I like, I like the, the, the dead to stay dead because then I feel like the sacrifice is there, but that that's really all I have on it. I think it's a great idea. I think it, it definitely has room to grow, but I think, uh, the dyad is one of those things where we have to figure that out first before we even know. And they have to, it's their job to explain it to us if they're going to give us something like that. Like at this point, you have to explain this stuff. I'm convinced it was all just a setup for Revan and Bastila. So speaking of, um, speaking of dead being dead, how did you guys feel about um, Chewbacca? Oh, don't even get that me started. That part bothered me. That yeah, that's that's a whole nother episode there for me. But I think that that's the biggest thing in the movie that I still hate to this day. I think I don't understand as an edit reason why you would kill him and then in the next scene show us that he's alive, but then like for twenty minutes the characters are talking as if he's still dead, but us as an audience knows he's alive, and it, it's just like a weird thing. Like if he was going to be alive. Why didn't you reveal it when the characters found out that he was alive? Like yeah, that would have yeah. been like that. That's like that's a dong take of all dong takes. Like, they should have, it's he should have died. He should have died. Uh, this is the sort yes, of thing. Yes, he that, should have. No, well, I, I hate to. I, no, it, it hurts no. me to say that. But this is the kind of thing that um, <laughs> that 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 looms very large for me because I haven't connected with the main story. Like it's the kind of thing I might forgive in in Phantom Menace or or but um, you know. 
but in this movie, I tell you, for the first 45 minutes, I was so deep in. I was loving it. I loved the opening um, with Kylo and, and Palpatine. I loved the lights, the, the uh, light speed skipping. I loved the whole mission to Pasana and everything like that. But at that moment, when, you know, when, first of all, you know, I, I couldn't, I, I didn't understand what happened. So there's a second transport. We didn't see the second transport, you know. And then Ray can sense him on the Star Destroyer. But wait a minute, why couldn't she sense him? When she blew up the first, you know, when she blew up the first transport, the whole thing was just very, very choppily and clumsily uh, put together. And it and it had me thinking that the movie would have been a much more interesting movie, it would have been a much more, um, it wouldn't have been as much fun, right? You know, it wouldn't have been as much, but, but to have that as really something that they really had to come back from and really had to recover from. Um, you have to make death matter, you know? Like, in this movie... Zach, this goes to your point to a T. Every time you think somebody's dead, they're not. It starts with Palpatine coming back from the dead. You basically have Chewbacca come back from the dead. You basically have C-3PO come back from the dead. So when Ben and Ray die in, well, one, you know, when Ray stabs him, you've already taken away the emotional gut punch there because you've already said, we're just going to bring people back to life. When Palpatine throws Ben into the pit, even though, like, as, as viewers, we know, okay, they're probably not going to leave one of your main characters like that, who still has... That's not going to be the end of Ben Solo, Kylo Ren. It's just not a fitting end, right? But you don't even... There's no emotional weight there. With Ray. there's no emotional weight there because you have said already in this film, not just... Like, in the saga, you have Force Ghosts, but those are very special entities that get to be Force Ghosts. Like... As much as I love Ahsoka, like, she's not a force ghost. Qui-Gon, he's a voice, he's not a force ghost, right? Like, that's a different tier of existence, so the rules of death not apply. But you, you every time you, in this movie, and, and like, Palp- the Ray Palpatine and this are my two biggest things in the movie that bother me. The rest of it I, I pretty much love, but you, you should have left... Chewie dead. You should have left 3PO with his mind wiped. Like, I think it takes away more than it adds back. I You can still have Rey end up, sense the dagger on the Star Destroyer and go after the dagger. Like, you have everything stays the exact same in the movie, except you add a thousand pounds of emotional weight to it when Chewie dies. Yes. So I, I want to come back to the dagger. Um, but but I think you know to follow along what you said, Brandon. It seems to me like you know in in this movie, there there never really was a sense that the main characters in in body or soul were really in danger. You know, even even when um, even when Poe and Finn are about to be executed by the stormtroopers, they're still zipping around in bed. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. like compare that to when to when Finn and Rose were about to be executed in the Last Jedi. You know, you really didn't know what was going to happen there, right? And in this case, it was, you know, they're literally about to die. The mission's about to fail. The galaxy's about to be completely overrun by, you know, by the Sith. And they're, they're you know, bantering back and mm-hmm. forth about, about you know, some secret between the two. It just, it didn't really feel like there was, um, like there were consequences to what was going on. And the C-3PO moment, same, you know, same deal, right? I mean, they're, they're effectively killing C-3PO, but they're joking about it. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And it just didn't feel like, like, 
you know, I, I'm fine with that in the first act of the movie. Right. Like I'm fine with that as when, when Anakin and Obi-Wan are in there, uh, you know, Jedi starfighters going to rescue the chancellor. Right. That's when you do that stuff. But then when things start to get real, you got to you got to make it real. You got to make it all count. Otherwise, you're just moving from kind of one set piece you know, to the other. And that and, you know, and, and that moment where it just well, OK, I, I'm, and, and I guess everybody's going to be fine. Right. And that and that was when that was sort of the reason why at the end where the one guy that they did kill, one guy that they did kill was was Snap Wexley. And I find myself saying, like, well, why? What, what the hell what, what you have to kill that guy for? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like if if everybody's going to be happy and everything's going to be fun, you know what? What are we sacrificing this one dude for when we've already established that that none of the stuff, you know, is uh, is really is really a significant danger? That was just a, kind of the big snap and hugs. <laughs> and hugs. Yeah. And can I like how did Kylo Ren not figure out that it was hugs? Yeah. There's... How did he not know? Of course he would have known, right? Yeah. And and Hux's death is I, comical. I yeah. All right. Obviously, we're going to be talking a lot more about Rise of Skywalker. We need to have you guys <laughs> on again because the, the one of the good things about having a Star Wars movie in general is all the conversations that it creates. But a movie like this that is, whether you love it or not, filmmaking-wise is extremely imperfect uh, I think really opens up a lot of conversation. So I'm looking forward to talking some more Rise of Skywalker in the future. I do want to steal just one quick thing that we do over on Don't Burn the Sacred Text and bring it over here. We always talk about what's one thing that you would like a, a spinoff of this book or attached to the characters in this book. Real quick, we're going to go around. No commentary, just this is what I want. If you have something attached to Rise of Skywalker. It could be something that we know is coming that they link to it or something completely new. What story do you want to see attached to this Rise of Skywalker film that we just got? Caden, I'm going to send it to you first. Poe Dameron, Smuggler of Spice. That's it. Okay. I want to see more about that, that they introduced that, yeah. Teen teen, uh, Poe, all right. Zach... Oh, Dameron. More trying to get a kiss. Oh, my God. <laughs> a yep. Poe Dameron YA novel. All right. Uh, Bill, to you. I want I want Luke and Lando on their, like, vision quest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Love it. I, love I it. really, really want more of that. I think that would be great. And I'm going to be totally selfish and just say I want anything that's going to prove my Ray and Ben <laughs> combined theory correct. That's it. You Fair know, enough. not asking for much, not asking for much. So uh, until next time, we, of course, we at the time of this release are coming to the final days of our fundraiser. Uh, we need twenty five more dollars in the auction to hit our three hundred dollar um, goal in the auction alone. We already have a whole bunch of donations that has helped us cross well over that three hundred line that we are extremely grateful for. We are going to be able to get so many books into classrooms across the country and it's such an exciting way to kick off this adventure so if you want to bid in the auction there's still a lot of things at really good prices um that you can you can bid on i have lowered the uh jump rate 
from $5 to 2 or $1 on all of the items for this last week. So make sure you jump over there uh, and check that out. Every single penny is going towards donating to classrooms. I'm covering all the shipping costs, all of that stuff. So every dollar that you send is every penny that you send is going to go directly into classrooms. So we appreciate your support there. You of course can follow us on clashing sabers, uh, star Wars community on Facebook at clashing sabers on Twitter, clashing sabers network at gmail.com. You can contact me on any of those. If you would like to just donate without bidding in the auction, uh, make sure you subscribe to the network so you can get all the shows, ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. Caden, tell them about Rebel Cause. Uh, you can find Rebel Cause Lancaster on Facebook at Rebel Cause Lancaster and on Instagram under that same name. Uh, our podcast, Rebel Chatter, rebelchatter.com, iTunes, all those other great podcasting apps, and so on and so forth. And of course, on Clashing Sabers Network. Always, always. Zach, tell them about Sith Talk. You can find Sith Talk under the Adapter Media Podcast feed on all platforms podcasts are found. Uh, you can like Adapter Media's Instagram. You can like the Adapter Media Sith Talk, and you can follow me at Sith Talker Twenty Five, talking all things D and D, Star Wars, working out, and any kind of nerdy fantasy content. I'm usually talking about it. Awesome. And Bill, round us out. Tell them why Happy Beeps should be marked as their favorite website. <laughs> uh, happy beeps uh, we've got just about every story that's ever told fiction and non-fiction we've got every action figure lego bobblehead uh, hot wheels car uh, plush toy every basically every toy that's ever been made from 1976 and 77 all the way up to early 2020 uh, and uh, you create a new create an account there you can track your collection we'll tell you what you're missing and uh, it's fun just to kind of cross-reference around. I do it for hours. So happypeeps.net, Facebook. Uh, uh, we're Happy Peeps on Facebook as well. And you can find links to all of those places on our Friends of page at clashingsavers.net. And they will be in the show notes. Until next time, this is not Batch 8, so I'm going to close it out how I want. Hashtag Ben Solo lives. <laughs> all right, talk to you guys later. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use information on educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here. <laughs>